our life, God, where we need to lay things down, where we need to surrender. And Father, I pray that as we hear your word this morning, God, that it would speak to our hearts, that you would move in us, that you would change us, that you would make us more like you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Second Samuel chapter six. Second Samuel chapter six. So last week we watched thirty thousand men led by David finally carry the ark into the city of David into Jerusalem. Picking it up in verse sixteen. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David. David built the city of David. It's where his palace was, and it's just below the Temple Mount. It's between the Kidron Valley and and the Valley of Ginnon, where the great dump was at the bottom of Mount Zion. It was a place of high visibility. It's a place of... uh, Uh, where all the movers and shakers lived there on Mount Zion and later to be the where all the high priests and all the leading politicians, the Sadducees and the Pharisees would live. Taking the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in our day and time is like our exalting Christ in every aspect of our life. The Ark of the Covenant represents for us today Jesus. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. It was a place where the high priest on the Day of Atonement would take the sacrificed blood of the unblemished lamb and lay it on the mercy seat, sprinkle on the mercy seat. And, and, And our understanding of that for us today is Jesus forgives our sins. We are completely forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so when we exalt Jesus, we are recognizing that we are completely forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. Inside the ark was the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments uh, represents for us a guide of how to live, but it also, for us, the law, represents that we understand that the poor in spirit will experience God, as Matthew 5, verse 3 teaches us. That we cannot, we cannot fulfill and meet every requirement of the Ten Commandments. No one is able to be perfect. We are imperfect. Our humanity humanity will always rise up and, and knock us back. And so the Ten Commandments represents for us that we really need salvation. We need a Savior, and that, of course, is Jesus. So when we exalt Jesus, we are saying, we are experiencing, we're applying that we cannot find any way to be right with God other than through Jesus. So we exalt Jesus. Inside the ark was the jar of manna. We understand that Jesus is the bread of life. And so that manna represents in the ark of the covenant that God took care of the Israelites out there in the wilderness. So that jar of manna, that jar of heavenly bread, represents for us that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the great satisfier 
of the need of people's souls. We have hurts. We have wounds. We have great challenges in the flesh. Our humanity is our enemy. Our humanity speaks loudly against our lives. And it causes us to doubt. It causes us to question. It causes us to struggle with self-esteem. It causes us to struggle with uh, uh, toxic thoughts and toxic feelings. And, and it just wears us out. But the bread of life completely satisfies. And so when we exalt Jesus, we're exalting the great satisfier, and we desperately need the bread of life. And then the last thing that's in the, in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, of course, is Aaron's staff. Now, when they gathered all the different staffs from all, each leader of the 12 tribes, Aaron's staff was given to represent the tribe of Levi. And when they put Aaron's staff in the room, Aaron's staff produced a bud and it produced flour and leaves. It produced almonds. It's a miracle. And, and Aaron became our first high priest. And so that represents for us, that's exalting Christ when we, re when we recognize that Jesus is our great high priest. We do not need a priest today. We do not need any man to go between us and God. We have Jesus Christ. And so we, do, we have access to the Father through what Jesus has done for us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. That's possible because Jesus is the great high priest. And so David, he, he intends, his, his desires are good at this point. His desire is for the Ark of the Covenant to be where it belongs in the city of David, in Jerusalem, so that the people will honor God. There will be this constant minder. They will exalt the Lord. So for us, exalting Jesus. Now, we'll discover in today's passage of Scripture, with every great movement of God, with every spiritual victory, with, with every great high that we experience spiritually, there's a great battle with the flesh. It always happens. It doesn't matter the conditions. It doesn't matter the environment. It doesn't matter what's going on. You and I, we are always going to struggle with our own flesh, our own humanity at the very at the very end, perhaps, of a great spiritual victory, in the middle of a spiritual victory, right before the spiritual victory begins to happen. We're our own worst enemy more times than not. And you see it happen here. And, and you see the reasons for it. First of all, we see the broken marriage of David and Michal. It was broken. It was beyond human ability to be able to repair Marriage can be a blessing and you can be experiencing a marriage today that is a blessing and marriage can be a toxic mess. Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of in-between. Either marriage is a delight, it's a blessing, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that's happening. Sure, there's struggles in it, but those struggles end up being something that's better. Uh, 
in marriage, for the most part, is something, man, we would never replace. And then there are others, perhaps, that have been through or going through. Uh, just, it's just a toxic, toxic mess. It seems like it's gotten off the rails and there's no crane big enough to pick up the locomotive and put it back on the tracks. And, and the latter, the toxic mess was the marriage of David and Michal. Let's see why. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She was disgusted with what she saw. Seeing David down there in his priestly ephod dancing around before all the people and before those servant girls absolutely made her want to throw up. She despised David. Now, let's talk about their relationship for a little bit. How did it get there? Well, it's easy to see how it got there. First of all, Michal entered into a relationship with David. She married David early on because why? Because David won the right for her. In defeating the enemy, King Saul honored David's warrior ability and gave David Michal. Now, it seems initially that that marriage began to take shape and it began to perhaps deepen, began to grow, to flourish, I guess, because we know that when things get really difficult for David and Saul, Michal lied about where David was. She protected David. She went against her father, the king Saul, to protect David. And so there was a time in their marriage that things were fairly well. They were growing, even, even if it didn't really wasn't put together the right way. I mean, David didn't see Mikhail at the ice cream store and think she was the cutest thing since sliced butter, right? I mean, he didn't, they didn't have that ability. They were put together by Saul. And then as time went on, as Saul became further, further more paranoid with David, then then Michal is taken away from David and, and she ends up marrying Palti. And then after many years go by and lots of things take place, when the negotiation was taking place for, for David's kingdom to be in Jerusalem and all that happened, David said, I agree, however, Michal must be given back to me as my wife. And you remember the story of when they went to get Michal, they took her away from Palti, and Palti cries and walks behind uh, the posse that come to get her. And finally, he was told, Go back home, quit crying, you crazy sucker. I mean, now, we don't know much about Palti and Michal's marriage. We don't know what it was like for them, but obviously, it was a much better relationship than she's currently having with David. At least Paul T. loved her, and, and he just didn't have the ability to, to, to fight for her, I don't guess, because of the military might that was taking place. And so when old David, when he comes dancing into the city of David, he's leaping and dancing before the Lord, 
She's filled with contempt. It says in verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's enemy, armies, not enemies, armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. So this is a great celebration. This gets everybody out in the streets, taking it to the streets. The old Doobie Brothers tunes taking place. And they're taking it to the street. And David is just carried away with worship. I mean, he just is beside himself in that ark being taken successfully with nobody dying into Jerusalem. And so after they're given these cakes, then they all return to their homes. Verse 20 says this, When David returned home to bless his own family. Ah! Now at this point, I reckon David felt pretty good about things. All these people have been blessed. The, people, the Jewish people have been blessed today. We have united under his reign as king. We have united under the, th the Ark of the Covenant. We are God's chosen people. All things are right. Things are back where they need to be. We are home. All is well. David says, let me just go home and now bless my family like we have blessed all the people of Israel with the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, you reckon David knew the look? You reckon David looked at her and went, uh-oh, here we go. She said, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today. Shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. I'm sure that our English word for vulgar doesn't meet the Hebrew word that she used for vulgar, at least not in how I just read it. Matter of fact, we might not be able to find a word that we can say in a Sunday morning church service. I mean, how in the world can a king gyrate himself like that before so many young girls. That's what she's talking about. Vulgar. David retorted to Michal. Retorted means shot right back at her. Got in her face. Let her have it. The, the, the switch was switched. He went from wanting to bless his house and now she done mess with him. And by the way, he's the king and he's full of ego. If there's any woman in the land that doesn't mess with him, it's Mikael because Mikael is David's pawn. 
She's not a person in his eyes. She's not decent in his eyes. She's not redeemable in his eyes. She is Saul's daughter. And, and the only purpose of her existence is that she is to constantly remind everyone that David is the man. David is the man. And so David looks at her and retorts, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. Ooh. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Whew. Now, that right there is the number or the bottom or the top slam. Those chicks dig me. You may not dig me. You may not respect me. You may not honor me. You may not think that I'm a superman. But those women, those servant girls, let me tell you something. They like me. They love me. I don't need you, is what he's saying to her. You're not important. You don't matter to me. And you don't have the right to talk with me because I'm the selected by God over your daddy and all your family. How'd they get there? Broken, broken marriage. Now, right, right here and now, I'm just curious about this. How many of y'all, if we were to side with either Mikhail or David, how many of y'all today would side with Mikhail? Raise your hand. That, that David is the most to blame for this. That Mikhail is the least to blame for this. How many of y'all would side with Mikhail? Raise your hand. You can get over up there. Come on, raise your hand. Okay, five or six people. How many of y'all would side with David in this situation? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Gosh, we just won't vote on nothing, will we? <laughs> I mean, you got to do something if you raise your hand. I don't understand that. What does that mean? I don't got no dog. I got no dog. I've never heard that. I got no dog. You can go to the shelter and get a dog. That's not a big deal. All right. Now, she's bitter. She's bitter. Now, it's easy for me to see that she's bitter, but she's bitter. And she's bitter at David. And her bitterness is uncontrollable. I know that because I know that all bitterness is uncontrollable. If you're bitter, doesn't matter whether you have the right to be bitter or not from human perspective. Now, I side with Mikhail on this over David. 
And, and I've, I've listened to preachers preach on this. I've read some different sermons and commentaries. And it seems to me that most preachers really come down harder on Mikhail than David. But I, I come down harder on David than Mikhail in this story. I mean, he should have left her be with pouting. He should have, pull, should have pulled her in. That was his ego. And, and there's no question, when someone is a pawn because of some powerful person's ego, it's hard not to become bitter. But the truth of the matter is, before the Lord, it doesn't really matter if we can justify why we're bitter. If we're bitter, then we can't control the consequences, and, and the consequences are on us. And she is bitter. If you let a bitter root grow, it will impact all your relationships. And I think that's a good lesson from, that we can learn from Mikhail here today. For a successful marriage, for marriage to flourish, for the husband and wife to grow closer together as the years go on, you got to nip the bitterness in the bud. You're going to get bitter, first of all. There's going to be things that you're going to have troubles with. There's going to be things that have said that is going to hurt you. You're going to be wounded in marriage. There's no way around it. And if you let bitterness take a root in you, your marriage is going to sour. It may even become like Mikhail and David's marriage. But she's so bitter, when she looks out that window and sees David, she is disgusted in what she's seeing. Now, what she's really disgusted with is David. She's really disgusted. I, I don't think so much with his dancing and flaunting around, the fact that he is experiencing something that he's enjoying. Now, I really believe that if he had come home with a 12-pound cat or a 15-pound bass and he's walking around showing everybody, she would have been disgusted with that too. She's just disgusted with anything that David is happy with. That's bitterness. That's bitterness. Man, do we not see a bitter world with politics today? Bitterness. When, when you are that bitter, then you can't be objective about something that may be good. You just can't be objective about it. Because you're bitter, and bitterness cannot be controlled. You cannot be bitter at the right time and, and not be bitter at the wrong time. You can't do it. Bitterness is going to do that. Second thing is, she is wounded and hurt. And there's no question that hurt people hurt people. And, and one of the reasons why marriages go through such hard times is because one or both parties are wounded. They're hurt. And, and it's just like if you went to the emergency room and someone had stabbed you, they can see the wound. They know what needs to take place. They can fix the wound. But when you've been stabbed emotionally, when you've been back, when you've been betrayed, when you've been harmed in some ways emotionally, man, that wound is there just like a stab wound is there, but it's a lot more difficult to mend. And, and, and Mikhail's wounded over how David has treated her. 
Nobody wants to be another person's pawn. I'm sure that every day she woke up and wondered whether or not he would start respecting her, that he would start honoring her. But he didn't. And what comes out of bitterness and wounds and hurts? A toxic tongue. I mean, every marriage that breaks up, the tongue is a problem. Not just what is said, but how it's said. The words are hard to reach out there and, and take back, aren't they? And when people are really wounded and really hurt, those words really do penetrate. And it's like pouring salt in that stab wound. And boy, Mikhail's tongue is hot. It's sharp and it's cutting baloney awful thin here. And very quickly, she went, how distinguished the king is. And she rips him apart. There's something else here that I think is very important for us to understand, that when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us a testimony, a story, an event, that there's no question, it's the Lord. And the flesh begins to resist it and to fight against that. Here's one of the things that takes place. Now, it's a great worship scene here. It's a great victory taking place here in the city of David. But she is unable to worship God. She's unable to experience the victory of the moment that God has made possible because she couldn't see beyond David. Think about that for a moment. She was more, <clears throat> her focus was more on a person than God. And so she missed what God was doing. Now, it happens a lot if you've put a spiritual leader up on a pedestal, right? And that spiritual leader disappoints you in some way. Very quickly, the flesh can take over and control. And there may be a time of worshiping God is crystal clear that that's what ought to take place, that He ought to be celebrated. But because you've been hurt, wounded, disappointed by that person, you can't worship God because you can't see beyond that person. You're obsessed over that. You think about it. It's clouded your objectivity. You know, and it doesn't really matter whether or not you're justified in that. Maybe that guy's been a real jerk. Failure for whatever reason. But we should never let any person, we should never let anything that people do or don't do Get in the way of our worshiping Jesus. Our worshiping Jesus. So when you hear things like, I can't go to church, why? They're all hypocrites. Well, you know what? Hypocrites are at the bar too. Y'all know that? I mean, they may not sound like a hypocrite. Oh, I've accepted so much. You know, the, my favorite drinking establishment. Everybody knows your name. Yeah, until you need something. And that's gone. 
There are hypocrites at the bar. There are hypocrites down at the workplace. There's hypocrites down at the, at the golf course. Hypocrites at the ball field. Hypocrites. Everywhere people go, guess what? There are hypocrites there. And if we let hypocrites get in the way of our focusing on Jesus, serving Jesus, and worshiping Jesus, then we are putting ourselves in this place where Mikhail is. Let's talk about David some here. First of all, something that I think is really important for us to talk about this morning. David is highly motivated, great focus, hugely successful at work, but a failure at home. I mean, he, what he pulls off is pretty, pretty fascinating. His ability to negotiate, his ability to politic, his ability to be a warrior when that's required, his ability to lead people. I mean, he started with 500 knuckleheads in a cave. He ran for his life the first part of his leadership. All he had going for him is God chose him. And nobody believed it but a few hundred people. But as time went on, he made the right political moves. He made the right military moves. And, and David is now the king of Israel. That's success. He, now's got, he now has money. He now has resources. But at home, complete failure. Not only is he having trouble with his wife, Mikhail, here, but we're going to see as time goes on, she's not his only problem. His kids are knuckleheads. His kids betray him. His, his family is absolute chaos. And he has all this power in the world, all this power in the workplace. People honor him. People bow to him as king. But at home, not so much. Well, one of the reasons why uh, he stretched the ability to care way too thin. He, in Scripture, it clearly says, kings don't take lots of wives. Don't only have one wife. What did he do? He kept on adding to it. I mean, how many wives can you take care of? Probably not even one. Right? Come on. Yes, hallelujah. <laughs> Bring it on, that's right. It's hard. Men aren't cut out to have more than one wife. Men ain't cut out to have a wife and lots of girlfriends. It's, it's not, it's, we can't function with all that. And here David, he's got, he's got too many wives and too many kids from all those wives. He can't take care of what needs to be taken care of at home. And... Throw on top of that, king. King. All the decisions he has to make. All the responsibilities that come his way. All the stresses. And then he's got to go home to, to women who are really dissatisfied with him. And kids that have to fight for his attention. That's David's fault. David caused that. David made that mistake. And Mikhail's hurt and bitterness and wound, David is the fault of that. Maybe David had the man's idea 
And it's a very misguided idea that deep wounds and deep hurts can be fixed quickly. I mean, it says here that after the big celebration happens, the ark is put in its place, David has worshipped with all his heart, then he returns home to bless his family. I wonder if he was thinking about Mikhail on the way. I wonder if he was thinking, I'm going to go in. And I mean, now, if David's been with God, and when you've been with God, one of the ways you know you've been with God is you're going to do the right thing for the right reason. And so I think that from the tent to his home, to his palace, in however far that was, David had good intentions. Perhaps Mikhail was number one on his list. Perhaps, and this would be, this would how you know that he'd really been with God and he's really worshiped God. If on his mind was, I'm going to go home and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to apologize to Mikhail. It is not right what we've done to her. It is not appropriate. I, I believe that that's the case. We don't see it here, but he's been with God. He's worshiped God. And so God would be driving those kind of thoughts. I mean, you haven't been with God if you don't want to get right with your wife. You know that? Ladies, if you are bitter and angry and resentful to your husband, you haven't been with God. You might pray about it, but you're, just not, you're not really connecting with God in a way that you're willing to do whatever God wants. Because for men and women, if there's a division or schism in the family, and you, when you're with God, you're willing to confess, take responsibility, take blame for whatever has taken place for reconciliation. Because God always wants to save the marriage. And I, I, David's been with God. And so maybe, Mikhail, I've been a nut. I've made bad choices, and you got caught up in that. It was my ego that took you for him. Let's just agree, you don't want to be with me. Go on back home to Palti. Wouldn't that have been great? But oh no, she spoke up. And David's ego couldn't deal with it. Think about it. The mighty king couldn't deal with words from a lady that didn't even care about. In that man's ego, you can't say yes because you're sitting next to him, can you? The one that never asked for directions. That's me. Got to preach it like it says. I can sleep tonight. Can't be told that I did wrong. Ego, man's ego, man's frail boy ego explodes right here. And his tongue gets out of control. I mean, look. Oh, yeah? God chose me over your daddy. That's what he said. God chose me over your daddy and all your family. Who's the king now? I'm the king now. Where's your dad? He's dead. They put his head on a spear. 
That's the intent of his deal. And let me tell you something. You may not think I'm something, but those servant girls sure did, didn't they? They really, they really like what they saw. He goes from worshiping God to that. His ego gets out of control. And there's a tragic, tragic end to this story in verse 23. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless, childless throughout her entire life. Now, it's not saying here that she didn't have the ability to have kids. It's saying here that David didn't go visit her. That's what it's saying. And so he made it possible that she would stay one of his wives. But of course, since he's the king, nobody can court her. No one can have relations with her. No one can deal with her. She is absolutely isolated out of David's ego. Marriage. Marriage requires hard work. If your marriage is going to flourish, if it is going to move forward, if it is going to be strong and stable and life-giving, both the husband and the wife have got to be willing to work hard. That means a lot of cases is the man's got to grow up and become a man, quit being a boy, and the lady has got to grow up and quit being a little girl. And understand how important it is that both parties work hard and how much it matters. It also can't be neglected to flourish. David had neglected Mikhail, no question about it. And any marriage that's neglected, it's not going to do well. You can't neglect your marriage. It requires respect. It requires much Forgiveness. you got to be willing to forgive for your marriage to work out, to grow, to flourish, to deepen, to be a blessing to you and other people. you got to forgive. Most likely, you got to forgive every single day. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. you got to be willing to overlook many, many things. If you struggle with overlooking things, one of the signs of that is that you're bitter and you're hurt and you're always looking for something to justify your wound so you can get back. Affections cannot be stretched too thin. You can't, fellas... Your desire for success must be stronger for the home than it is at work. It's got to be. If you value your success at work, but devalue your role at home, you'll pay the price of that one day. And love has got to be the foundation of the marriage. Went to a funeral years ago. And funerals sometimes can reveal lots of stuff. And in the course of this funeral, first of all, the wife spoke. And, and, and the wife said, you know, he 
We had lots of problems in our younger days. And uh, he moved around a lot. He changed jobs a lot. He started this business and this business, and this happened and that happened. And I, I just kind of got used to it. And, and I just kind of found out one day that he, even though he wasn't always at home, and even though I could tell that, that he wasn't always really excited about coming home, I, I just knew that he was always going to provide for us. And he did. He provided for us well. And so she said to all her family and the friends at his funeral, the best thing I can say about my dead husband is he provided good. And when I heard that, now people are going, oh, wonderful. You're not going, how horrible. Horrible. Number one, Susan will not say I provided well. <laughs> I'm living up to it, doing good. Then the daughter got up. And, and uh, she was quite a piece of work. And, and she started telling stories about some of her experiences as a younger teenager and things like that. And, and she talked about getting in trouble with the law, getting in trouble with creditors, and getting in trouble with this. And every time she said, I just come home, and, and I just sit on Daddy's lap, and I say, Daddy, I love you so much. I've missed you. He said, she said, it didn't matter if I was 18 years old or 25 years old or 30 years old. I just go home and sit in Daddy's lap and say, Daddy, I really love you. And he, he learned. He don't say, how much do you need? Well, this one's going to cost me 5500 Dad. You know, I'm, I'm 5500 upside down on this, or this happened, that happened. Or I can't pay my rent for, I'm behind. And he said, all right, sweetie. And he'd give her the money, and off she'd go. And she said, I always knew my dad loved me because he always bailed me out. Oh. May it be at your funeral, fellas, that your wife and your daughter says, my daddy loved me with all his heart. And I know that he loved me because he loved my mom with all his heart. He didn't give me everything I wanted. He didn't give me everything I thought I needed. But I always knew that he loved me. And I'm a better person for it. The dividends of a strong marriage last for generations. David and Mikhail didn't have one. May we learn from it. Help us, Lord, to grow, to learn. First of all, help us, Lord, as husbands and wives to be rededicated to our marriages. Father, help us today to face up to what we need to face up to and things that need to be changed. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.